Hello, and thank you so much for joining us on the Midbay News Update. I'm Christopher Saul, and let's get right into the news. The first thing you need to know is that Niceville has made it official. Taxes on your property are going up this year. If you have an average house in Niceville, about $500,000 in value, then you're looking at an increase of about $150 in property tax per year. This is the first tax increase in more than a decade for the city and helps fund a 7% increase in pay for employees and the planning and building of both the city government complex and the planning of a new public safety center that will house the police department. City Manager David Deitch said that he needed to give a significant pay raise just to stay competitive with other cities in the area and with industry. He has a wealth of knowledge on staff right now. Many people in key leadership positions have been on the Niceville team for more than two decades. The city budget, all told, has about $61.5 million in it this year. The next city council meeting is in Niceville City Council Chambers on Parton Drive on October 10th. That's next Tuesday. The city of Niceville and the Florida Department of Transportation have collaborated to name part of State Road 285 that runs through Niceville after former Mayor Randy Wise. The ceremony is going to take place at the corner of State Road 285 and John Sims Parkway on Friday, October the 6th at 8 a.m. Randy Wise was the mayor of Niceville for 48 years, and he was a volunteer fire captain before that. As a matter of fact, his family is naming a fire scholarship at Northwest Florida State College in his honor. He was a native of Niceville and spent his life improving the town. He was named mayor in 1971 and served until his death in January of 2020. Only two Florida mayors have served in the position for longer. John Land of Apopka, not Apopka, as I recently learned the hard way, served in that position for 63 years, and Bruce Arnold of Valparaiso, just next door, served for 53 years. Niceville High School has something amazing to celebrate. They have three candidates for the National Merit Scholarship. That's right, three students were named National Merit Scholarship semi-finalists for the 2024 National Merit Scholarship Program. Kira Tuper, Aurora Mendenhall, and Brody Plazier have demonstrated exceptional dedication to their academic pursuits and have been recognized on that national level for all these achievements. The National Merit Scholarship Program, as you might know, is one of the most prestigious academic competitions in the United States, and I bet you most of them can say prestigious correctly. (laughs) To qualify for this program, students must undertake the preliminary SAT National Merit Scholarship Qualifying Test, aka the PSAT slash MSCUT, during their junior year of high school. Out of all the high school seniors nationwide who take this test, only a few really achieve the distinction of become semifinalists, less than 1% actually, These students represent that 1% of people in the United States that are just geniuses and are recognized as the highest scoring participants. Becoming a National Merit Scholarship finalist is a remarkable accomplishment in and of itself, and finalists can compete for one of the 7,250 National Merit Scholarships, collectively valued at about $28 bucks. Niceville High School, you guys should be immensely proud of the students that you've produced, especially these three and their amazing accomplishments. Only one other school in Okaloosa County, Fort Walton Beach High School, even had National Merit Scholarship semifinalists. Superintendent Marcus Chambers expressed his admiration for these exceptional students, saying that he's extremely proud of them 
and their efforts over the last couple of years. It's not an easy process, he said, and those who are recognized at any level for their academic excellence deserve it. An iconic presence in the Blue Water Bay community, Toast Wine Bar has closed its doors permanently after more than a decade of serving fine wines and delectable dishes to its loyal patrons. A post on Facebook that they put up signaled the end of an era, leaving many people in the community deeply saddened about the loss of their cherished gathering place. Toast Wine Bar had become a cornerstone of the Blue Water Bay community, known for its exquisite wine selection and warm and inviting atmosphere that fostered countless memorable moments. Now, while the doors of Toast Wine Bar are closed, there's a glimmer of hope for the people that love its food. The owners of the business said that they're actively working on a cookbook with all of their recipes that they're planning on either selling or giving away to their patrons so that they can make their favorite dishes at home. And finally, before we go, the Niceville Eagles football team is still riding a wave of exuberance after their stupendous shellacking of rival Crestview High School. The Eagles beat the Bulldogs 42-21 at the Nest last Friday night. Last year's devastating loss to Crestview booted them out of the playoffs at home, but Maddox Fared opened up the scoring at the Nest, and the team didn't really look back after that. Kane LaFortune, DJ Robinson, Caden Bridgman, and Logan Maurice also put points on the board for the Eagles. Niceville hosts another tough team this Friday night when Pine Forest comes a knocking. The Pine Forest Eagles are 4-2 this year with losses to Choctahatchee High School and West Florida. The Eagles, the Niceville Eagles that is, of course, beat Choctaw in a tough game just a couple of weeks ago. So those are your news headlines, and coming up after a short break, we're going to have a talk with Dr. Devin Stevenson about the exciting world of college and college preparation. He has pretty strong opinions about the place of college in the world going forward and the place of people leading those institutions. Here's what it means for you if you live here in Niceville. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody, this is Christopher Saul with Mid-Bay News. I'm here with Dr. <clears throat> Devin Stevenson. And Dr. Stevenson recently wrote an op-ed for Florida Politics, kind of talking about the future of education in general. And you made a couple of very cogent points. And I'd love to get a little bit more insight from you about what you think the future of education is, what it looks like, and how to overcome some of those challenges that we're seeing right now. The most recent Gallup polls showed that uh, a majority of Americans are questioning the relevancy of higher education in America. And so I think uh, it motivated me to think about what makes us relevant and what makes a good leader to lead an institution forward. And I'm convinced that it's not really about being a transformational leader or a transactional leader, but it's about managing change and being able to forecast. It's almost like, for those of us in a public institution, being a, a profit in a nonprofit organization, so to speak, having to be able to look down, take adventurous steps, and be able to make an organization run efficiently and effectively, and being able to see those road signs along the way ahead of us uh, so that we make the right decisions that, that future-proof our organization. So the whole idea was you better think change, you better act change. In other words, you better think for a change for a change, because change is coming. It's here, and, and we know that it's moving very fast. I mean, 
years ago we did a strategic plan for 10 years. Now there's no way you can do a strategic plan. Things change so fast. So my, my op-ed was about changing and setting that mindset so that every day is a new day, nothing's the same, and you've got to be able to react and respond to it. So you're talking a lot about change, which mm-hmm. I think is very interesting. How do you meld that with looking forward and planning for the next couple of years? How does that inform that, that mm-hmm. knowledge about change inform what you're doing on a tactical basis? That's great. So we adopted a model here several years ago by Stephen Covey called the Four Disciplines of Execution. Some call it 4DX. And we, we embraced it in the fact that many organizations will develop a strategic plan and, will, and it will be filled with so many goals, there's no way you can accomplish them all within the window of time that you're supposed to do them in. And so the organizations, they select so many goals, there's no way they can accomplish them. And so we decided that we would follow through with what Jim Collins called the big, hairy, audacious goals to wildly important goals and only have three, only three goals. And so by doing it, it's allowed us to focus our work so much better. And so what I encourage leaders to do is not to get overwhelmed with trying to do all things all the time for all people. You can't do it. You have to find out where that point of convergence is that you know you can be successful at and do it excellently. Don't, don't try to do eight goals and halfway do them, do them in, uh, and do them in a spirit of mediocrity. You do them in a spirit of excellence. And in my article, I didn't specifically quote him, but Vince Lombardi said, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers, said, you'll never catch perfection, but if you run after it, you'll catch excellence. And that's what we try to do. So we pare down the number of goals. And my, my suggestion to all leadership groups that I talk to, don't try to do everything in the first year, in the first two years, in the first three years. Pare it down to goals that are manageable, with strategies that can help you be successful. And by doing that, you accomplish more, and people that are in your organization will feel emboldened to do even, even greater things because you can celebrate those successes in a major way. So I think as we look forward, uh, my, my siren that I'm sounding here, uh, and you know we use that a lot, sound the siren here with the Doolittle Raiders here at Northwest Florida State College, that siren is plan for change and be, there's three things you have to be. You have to be available, you have to be flexible, and you have to be adaptable as a leader if you're going to be successful. Available, flexible, and adaptable. And those things create good leadership, effective leadership, efficient leadership, and help you move the needle uh, down, down the line going forward. I will tell you there's uh, much concern about higher ed right now in America. And really, um, how relevant is uh, a four-year degree in general studies? And so we're, we're looking right now at what leads to a high-demand, high-wage job. And what programs should we have in place here at this institution that are helping students get there? And, and what's interesting is several years ago, we did a campaign. We decided to, to monetize the campaign. And so out on the Mid-Bay Bridge, we put signs that said, do you want to earn $2,000 a week? And we filled up our welding class because they're making an average of $100,000 a week, I mean a year. Uh, now we have some that are making 136, 140, 150,000. And some of them weld for Elon Musk 
and SpaceX. So we've, we're trying to attach our programs to relevancy. Who would have ever thought 20 years ago that welding could be in the aerospace industry as it is so, so uh, prevalent now? Uh, and so I think relevancy is important, but we still have to watch the changing times. We have to watch what's going to happen in the future. And um, as I said earlier, you've, you've got to be almost a prophet. Uh, I will tell you that every morning I wake up early and I read the digital newsletters as to what is happening today. And every time I read one, my frame is, did that leader expect that to happen? Were they anticipating that to happen? Could they have read the tea leaves and made sure that didn't happen if it was a bad thing? If it was a good thing, I look at them and, of course, I want to read more about what they're doing. Uh, what are those landmark things they're doing? What are those things that are disruptive, which I love to do here. I love to be disruptive uh, in, in our innovation and do things differently. Uh, some of that comes from a business background. My major is business, not education. And so we look at outcomes in that regard. But I'm constantly looking at the future and how do I connect this institution, knowing the future is getting closer and closer and closer to make sure that we're future-proofing our decisions. Do you find that, um, especially with state <clears throat> colleges, um, you'll be having almost repeat customers as things continue <clears throat> to change in the workforce? There's no question. Knowledge is moving at a rapid, rapid pace. Give you an example. Several years ago, we started our cybersecurity program. Have a phenomenal director, phenomenal faculty member, great class, great students. But we realized over the last year, there was a, another piece that had emerged within two years. And it was this whole idea of artificial intelligence and AI. And so now we are embedding a certification within cybersecurity that we never even thought about three or four years ago when we were laying out this Triumph Gulf Coast grant, the Walton Works Project, that's what created our cybersecurity program. We, we never even thought about artificial intelligence, but now it's very, very important. And it is a recognized industry certification. So we're gonna embed it in that cybersecurity uh, as a part. Uh, I, I think you have to constantly be on what I call the ledge. You live on the ledge or you're taking up too much room. You got to live on the ledge. And uh, some people like to live on the, uh, the cutting edge. I like to live on the bleeding edge. A lot more going on on the bleeding edge than there is on that cutting edge. Uh, and that's where the action has taken place. So uh, I, I think uh, for us to have had the success that we've had and for us to continue to be able to marshal um, the attention of grant funders, of others, you know, our goal here is to become an influencer. And you have to stay out in front to be able to do that. Um, if you're talking to somebody that is one of those many, many people that have sort of lost faith in the, the value of a degree, what do you tell them to convince them otherwise? You know, now that my kids are bringing home a bunch of art from their preschools, uh, it's kind of starting to stack up, or at least it used to until I got Deer. Deer is an app that you can get on your phone that allows you to scan all of your kids' art and macaroni shell necklace art paintings and, you know, coloring and stuff like that into one place, and then you can throw it away when they're not looking and keep those memories forever so that you have them, but you don't have the clutter that goes with it. Again, that's the Deer app. Check them out on the App Store. You can thank me later.
Well, I, you know, some people will say that a college education is not necessary, but I think that's, I, I think that's the wrong nomenclature to use. Um, a college education, in my opinion, is necessary. A four-year degree may not be necessary, but a college education, in my opinion, is. One that provides you some thought processes. Um, here's what we know. We know that individuals that are 18 to 23 go through the most significant changes in their life. They're freeing interpersonal relationships. Uh, they're become, becoming autonomous. They're seeing things in life uh, sort of out from under a shelter as such. And the college environment helps them to even develop more. We call it student development theory. And uh, that they don't experience before that because they're in a real, to be honest, a real uh, uh, more of a familial kind of pressure cooker. They're in uh, a peer pressure uh, at, at uh, their high schools. And when, when they get to this institution, they really become independent. They become autonomous. Uh, and so uh, we believe that this particular period of time from 18 to 23 is the most formative period where we have an opportunity to get them to think about what they can be. And uh, so, so I do believe that colleges are important. Programmat uh, programmatic uh, development and programs have to be right they have to be relevant and they have to lead to a high wage, high demand job. And you know, we're seeing it here. You come here, uh, you can go into our nursing program, make 70 to $80,000 a year with a big signing bonus. Uh, and even from there, you can go and become a nurse practitioner. Perfect example is my daughter. She started out as an associate degree nurse, an RN working in ICU. Then she got her degree uh, as a bachelor's degree nurse, a BSN. Uh, and became a, uh, a charge nurse over a unit. And then this past August, she even transcended that to become a nurse practitioner. So you put the pieces of the puzzle together. She was doing really well with an associate degree. She could have stayed there with that associate degree because they're in high demand. In the state of Florida, by 2035, there will be demand for 60,000 nurses that we don't even have the workforce for now. So I think we have to be smart about what we say is college. And college is beyond high school. And um, at this institution, we provide an array of programming for those that want to seek that route. However, if you want to become a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist, you can come here for your first two years and then go on into a high wage, high demand job. But the idea that people will say you don't need college to me is wrong. You do need college. You just need to be in the right program. I often hear our governor talk about the degrees that that are given. Uh, and he will t he will say something like, well, you're not going to get a great job if you get a degree in a general studies degree in the study of zombies. I mean, how, what's the demand for that? Uh, you have to find the programming that leads to a job. And so what we try to get our folks to do, and we plan and program here around this region to try to keep individuals in Northwest Florida. That's very important to us. In fact, we know that more than 90% of the individuals that train here or are educated here will either come back or they'll stay in this region. So that should be important to economic, developer, economic developers, to workforce developers, and to community developers, knowing that if the students come here, most likely they're gonna stay. 
So that's my take on college education. I think it's vital. I think it's important. And frankly, I made my kids go to college. Uh, my son has his doctoral degree in higher ed. He, he chose that route. My daughter chose the more career uh, ed. They both do very, very well. What is one skill, and this is my last question, but what is one skill that you wish everybody had uh, just generally, just every, every American walking the street, what is one thing you wish that they knew? Well, let me, let, me, let me say something about that. I think this is important. Some people call it soft skills, and I, I abandoned that word years ago. Uh, we used to say, well, they need to be able to, if you go in a welding program or if, or if, you, know, if you go in a, if you want to be an, an English professor, you certainly need to be able to spell. You certain, certainly need to be able to put sentences together. You need to be able to write creatively, and you need to be able to teach that uh, as well. Uh, but, but I believe that at that point, years ago, we talked about soft skills. Okay, you need to be able to get along with people. You need to be able to be punctual. You need to be able to work as a team. You need to be able to be responsible and accountable for your own work. Those are not soft skills. Those are essential skills. And so we've now abandoned talking about soft skills that are, you know, jello to essential skills in the workforce. Because if I were to go right out here in this community now and talk with um, commerce uh, leaders that are and chamber leaders who have businesses and manufacturing and industry in this area, they would tell you that there are essential skills that people need. Num number one, you need to be punctual. But in my opinion, the most important right now is interpersonal relationships, what I call people skills, and building relationships. Because everything we do now is team-oriented. There are no lone rangers in our organizations anymore. We're very, very, very interactive, very collaborative in the work that we do. So relationship development is important and here's what I think has happened, Chris. Um, we, have be, we have created a generation that has basically become inoculated with a smart device, and they're buried in it. So it's like my attention is focused on this piece of technology, and the ability to be able to get along with you in the setting and understand that you've got your own human perspectives, you've got your preferences, you've got you know, we all, by the way we were raised, we have our own biases or we have our own thoughts about things. Uh, and so we've created a generation now that's looking more at the technology as being the driver than the ability to be able to get along with my neighbor in the cubicle next to me. Uh, in other words, let me just send an email through the wall and that's the way I'll communicate with you. And what we know is texting and emailing is the lowest form of communication because you can't see the facial expressions, the body language. So I do believe personal relationships, building those relationships, and, and I, I had a mentor that taught to me, uh, taught me and talked to me a long time, many, many years ago, about relationship development and relationship management. You've got to develop the relationships, and then you've got to be able to effectively manage those. And so we build a culture here that requires people to work together. Uh, if you can't do that, you will not be successful here. And that culture is pervasive. And culture will eat strategy for breakfast. And so it doesn't matter what kind of strategy you got. If your strategy is to come in here, bury yourself in your computer, and live there, it's not going to work. 
But if your strategy is, I want to fit into that culture where people are doing great things, we're all celebrating, we're working as a team, we're synergizing, uh, then you're going to be really successful. And I'm seeing, you know, in recent days, we've seen major corporations, Fortune 500 corporations saying, get back to work. This working from home, for some people that works. If you're, you know, for some people it may. But in large corporations where you're synergizing lots of things, uh, that doesn't work. It's all about relationship management and building that kind of relationship. Just like... Um, your work is very, very people-oriented. We see that. And you have great people skills as, as a person. Even though you're a good manager, uh, you know, and you know how to build a great business and you do good things, the thing that attracts me to you is the fact that you understand the people skills side of this and that people move mountains, not, not necessarily uh, smartphones. <laughs> Did I forget to ask anything? Is there anything else that I should... Uh, you know, talk about in, in this series? Um, well, no, I, I think you've, you've done a real good job. I think, uh, I think as, we, as we look forward, uh, working together is going to be more important for Northwest Florida than ever before. I think the opportunities and possibilities are great. In fact, there was an author one, one uh, probably a decade ago that wrote, effective leaders see the possibilities before they become obvious to others. That could have been written just as well. Effective leaders see collaboration before others see it. And so I'm constantly looking at how do we find teams to make things work? And, and if you were to ask me what, what right now is, is the, most, the, the primary motivator for me, it's this. It's, I don't care who gets the credit for anything that goes on. Just let me be a part of the change that makes a difference. And so if you were to come and say, what is that one thing that drives you? It's that, and it may be because, you know, I'm, I'm a little older here. I'm a baby boomer. Um, and I've seen a lot. Now for me, it's not about who gets the credit. It's about let's work together and let's let it be a we instead of a me.